Hello, my name is Rylet Menace, and this is the MLS Aces Podcast. This is my special surprise if you listen to the end of the year episode with me and Tom. This is the story of us. And as you can see in the episode name, it's you, period, S, period. The story of us as a soccer nation of the United States and the growth of this game in the nation that we all love so much. Through this interview series, I've talked to some amazing people. Some wonderful stories have been told. And through all of it, I've made some friends. The point of this series is to inform you about the growth and the overall love that Americans have for the sport of soccer. And the reason we say soccer is because that's a very American thing to do. We're not trying to be anyone else. We are a beautiful soccer culture that, as I've mentioned in interviews in the series, we are still creating our culture. We have an opportunity to create what generations will have for years to come. And through all that, we are here. In the midst of everything happening with the U.S. not making the World Cup, and MLS expanding to sizes no one ever thought the league would go to. We are here talking about why we love this game in this country. And yes, there will be times where we talk about Manchester United or times where we talk about Brazil, but this is the moment in this country. Why do we love it? Why are we supporting uh, this brand of soccer? It's because it's ours. This is the story of us. And I really hope you enjoy the series. Our first guest is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. He was born in Tampa, Florida. He grew up a Tampa Bay Rowdies fan. He was introduced to the game while living in North Carolina. And his story of how he came into working with the game, his, his view on everything that is around the game, whether it be professionally for him at Fox or his personal love, Talking about the U.S., you can just hear the passion in his voice. And talking about Tampa Bay, you can just hear the childhood memories flowing out of his words. I think this is a fantastic interview. I really hope you enjoy it. Rob Stone of Fox Sports is the first guest of the story of us. Here it is. Rob Stone, thank you for making time, and how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Lo- love seeing this growth of American soccer and people who want to talk about it and are invested in it. You know, it used to be kind of a, a one-man gang out there, just a few of us uh, random folks getting together and, and talking about the sport and dreaming that one day uh, people would want to have conversations about it. And uh, you're, you're showing us that we've, we've progressed in the right direction, Riley. And that's actually where I want to start, is uh, you're an American. You love American soccer. I just want to. I want you, want you to describe how you've seen this game grow since having the World Cup in 1994, to the creation of MLS, to the explosion of supporters and teams around this beautiful country. What what's been the proudest moment for you? Uh, there's there's so much to to point to. You know, when when I was a young kid, it, it was so difficult to find soccer. Um, it was PBS. It was soccer made in Germany. It was maybe a random NASL game, like a soccer bowl or something, but. You know, to really find a game and a constant um, visual contact with the sport was challenging outside of just playing it yourself. 
So that's pretty much what I did. And then, you know, the NASL grew and um, I made a point to hit as many games as I could as a, as a child. That, that required pestering my parents to, to take me to Cosmo games or New England team in games or, or doing spring breaks um, around my desires to go see soccer games. Uh, when I was a little kid, but you know, being in, involved with the sport right now at this level, um, I don't think there's just that one thing, Riley, that I point to and say, "Man, I'm so proud of it." Because um, when we look back at this time, it, it's really kind of been a golden age of growth for the sport. And just when you think somebody's going to cap it, um, there's another thing that happens. You know, just when you think MLS is kind of kind of figured it all out and there's no other place to go bam here comes atlanta you know and, and here comes atlanta i'm sorry orlando and before that the, the pacific northwest um so i'm enjoying this continued march through american soccer you know we, we clearly had a huge dip this year um but i think that dip in not qualifying for the world cup is, is actually just going to make this country uh, a stronger soccer nation um where resources are, are now going to be put to where soccer people realize that they need to be um and i think there's kind of this greater onus on the youth out there to say i want to be the guy who brings this team back up um so i think it's it's still an extremely exciting time for american soccer even though there was that that major disappointment of a couple weeks ago and talking about the u.s and we'll, we'll get into your childhood love for tampa bay in a second but but the u.s men's national team Growing up, I imagine they they were a pretty big deal with you know the World Cup coming around every four years and the, the qualifying cycles. How have they impacted your soccer fandom? Well, you know, even the U.S. national team, it was hard to find. You know, you remember you go back in, in into the '80s and '90s, they're playing at places like Willowbrook Park in New Britain, Connecticut. You know, I mean, there there wasn't this marketing arm behind them. There wasn't these stars associated with them. They weren't playing in big cities. These guys, you know, didn't have big Q ratings. So um, to see it grow from there ha- has been amazing. You know, you go back to 1990 when, when they qualified for that World Cup, it was still a real challenge um, to locate those games, and, and there wasn't much buzz. And, and, of course, the World Cup in 94 just absolutely um, kicked things off, and, and it, it shoved it in front of people's faces. And I was working in local news in Tampa, um, Albany, Georgia, rather, and I drove down to Orlando uh, for a game, and I didn't care who was playing. I just bought tickets and, and that was the thing to do and every world cup cycle riley i think we've, we've seen this sport and this national team grow in stature and and not just incremental growth massive steps um and, and i think you're going to see even though the u.s isn't there next summer in the world cup i think you're still going to see the entity that is the world cup in the united states continue to make those those leaps forward because when i worked my first world cup riley in 1998 um almost everything hinged on the u.s our coverage, our, our, our hopes, our dreams, our ratings. It was all based around how far the U.S. can go. Can they get us a bonus fourth game? You know, can, can they captivate this audience? Guess what? The, the audience in America is captivated about a World Cup, period. You know, you have a tournament where Messi is involved and Ronaldo and this juggernaut that is now um, Germany and, and Spain trying to get back into it. And, and, and all these talents and all these nations, um, this is – a tournament that has exploded and in my eyes has overtaken the Olympics as the most important sporting event on our planet. You go back to 1990 and 19, you know, the leading up to 1994 and leading up to 1998. No one really watched the World Cup qualifying cycle. No. Because it no, wasn't no. available. 
it, it, it just wasn't part of your soccer commentary. It wasn't part of your daily conversation. You know, I, I still have to explain what World Cup qualification is to people because it is complicated and, and I do get it. But every cycle, it's less and less people that I need to explain to and rather we just enhance their education and their knowledge about it and, and vice versa. You know, we, we get a lot of great intelligence from from fans and, and outsiders who, who enhance our broadcast and the way that we approach things. But um, look, soccer is not going away here in the States. It, it, this was not a death blow. Um, this was more of a, of a gut punch. This was more of a really bad breakup in high school where, um, you know, you're, you're going into your room and slamming the door and saying, I don't want to talk right now, mom and dad. You know, I just need some time. And, and, and I think we all needed time to just kind of breathe and digest this and, and get over it. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty upbeat guy and I, 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 I don't know what it's like to suffer depression. Um, and the only thing that I can equate to it through what I've been through was that 48 hour window, essentially when the U S failed to qualify and, and the stages of grief and torment that I personally went through. Um, and it was horrible. And I, I was kind of surprised by myself. Um, on how much it, it really hurt. Uh, granted, I, I had a little more invested in it than maybe some other people just professionally and work-wise and things like that. But the U.S. national team is one of the few teams, just really a handful of teams, that I allow myself to cheer for, to be an open fan of. Um, in, in this business, as you know, Riley, you, you're, everything's supposed to be straight down the line and you know, you're, you're not in favor of one team over the other. And I, I've been... Uh, purged of this fandom for so long, but I've always been able to say, you're not going to touch this, this, and this. I'm still going to be a fan of these teams, no matter what you say and how angry it makes you. I don't care. I'm still going to do it because in the heart, we're all fans. And, and if I'm in this business and I'm not a fan, something's wrong with me. So the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, just American soccer. I mean, really, that's probably the easiest way. I'm a fan of American soccer. You know, I want to see MLS succeed. Um, I want to see USL succeed. I want to see these club teams do well. I want to see our players do well overseas. You know, I became a fan of Fulham only because American players were playing with Fulham. And I needed those guys to do well because I knew that that would open up, um, open up the minds of investors and, and owners and operators and managers overseas to say, guess what? These American kids can do this. And boy, I really like the fight of Brian McBride. I bet there's another hundred kids back home in the United States that are that nobody knows about that I can pull here uh, onto my shores and play at a high level. So um, it's yeah, it's part of my DNA right now, and it, it's not going anywhere. And, and all I'm doing is is uh, continuing to push it on my children and anybody else who wants to watch our broadcasts. Yeah, I respect that full move. I was drawn into Tottenham because of DeAndre Yellen's transfer over yep. after the World Cup. But uh, moving moving to you, your your personal love for the Tampa Bay Rockies. Your, your first match, as I mentioned, was in Tampa. Yep. I, I want to know what captured you and what stuck with you, even to you know so many years removed. I was a young kid, and I, I always loved sports. and um, So I lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So that's why North Carolina basketball is one of my teams that I am going to be a fan for forever. That's not going to change, even though I'm covering college basketball. Um, and I clearly love soccer, and that was clearly my sport as, as a young kid. Um, and it was just my dad saying, look, you know, there's a team in the town that you were born in that should probably be your team. And I'm like, you're right, dad. And that was it. And, you know, I got attracted by the colors and, um, the flair that the Tampa Bay Rowdies had, cause it, it was, you know, it wasn't this 
this European feel. You know, it was the rowdies and it, it felt loose and fun and the colors were there and guys had hair and they're running around and it looked like just an absolute fun atmosphere to be involved in, uh, particularly a, as a kid. So I just gravitated to them and that was that was my team. Um, and it still is, you know, through what they're doing in USL. They just got knocked out of the playoffs from Red by Red Bulls, too, over the weekend. But um, I've got probably about five Rowdies jerseys up top. My my kids still wear Rowdies T-shirts that say, and I, you're, you're too young for this, probably, but soccer is a kick in the grass was like their big marketing slogan. And, you know, it's on the back of all their T-shirts. And my kids wear it, and, and they understand it. So, yeah, the, you know, that's how it is, though. Things that you grow up with stay with you for the rest of your life. And, and that's a big part of why soccer is turning here in the United States. You know, when I probably the generation right before I came around, it was you're going to sit on your dad's lap or your grandpa's lap and you're going to watch the baseball game of your town team. So you're going to grow up in St. Louis and you're going to be a St. Louis Cardinal fan for the rest of your life. And that's what you do. You watch Cardinal games and your kids watch Cardinal games and their kids watch it and so on and so on. And to an extent, that clearly still happens. But now you have parents out there who are saying, I don't want to watch that. I want to get up early and I want to watch the Bundesliga or I want to watch the Premier League. Or guess what? I don't care what is going on this Monday. I want to watch a doubleheader of MLS playoffs on FS1. Um, these are the things that care to me. You know, I take my kids to bars for crying out loud to watch World Cup qualifiers or World Cup games. And they get it. They understand it. And they're they're invested. You know, we. We watched um, the 2014 World Cup uh, in North Carolina. It was the first World Cup I hadn't worked in years. And, and you know, we're kind of in a pretty rural out there area um, in North Carolina. And we overtook this this brewery. And the games, I'm like, you need to put it up here and here and here. And my kids were teaching the whole bar how to sing the I Believe That We Will Win chant. And when the U.S. scored, it's – my kids who are running around with their shirts off, whipping around their jerseys, and the whole place is going. So the generation has changed. You know, for me, that that wasn't something I would have done. My parents wisely probably wouldn't have taken me to a bar to watch a <laughs> soccer game. But now you see that, and it's, it's almost kind of this, this odd norm. But, you know, our kids are growing up in this culture where it is accepted, where it is the sport. It's a sport they want to be involved in, and it's a sport they're passionate about. Right now, I always argue it's it's kind of in the awkward stage right now because people like you that are adults now that have grown up to love the game and to bring their kids up in it. Most of these kids are not they're they're my age. They're in high school. They're they're not right there having kids of their own yet. Even the the kids that are having kids, those kids are way too young. So we're kind of in the awkward stage where yes, soccer is here. Soccer's manifested through generations but it hasn't spread enough there, there's still a generation out there like i have a few teachers like why, why do you cover soccer why do, why do you sure. why do you waste time going to, to matches it's not popular in this country and I, I pull up numbers i pull up statistics i show them seventy thousand people in atlanta i show them people watching on television it, we still have a a generation that uh soccer's nah but me and the, the kids below me and we we just understand we we grew up in it. How it just had encapsulates you and how it how it grabs you and how it pulls you in and that, that's why we love it so much. Well, you know, when I was growing up, there was probably just thousands of us around the country who really cared and were dialed in, and now it's millions. Um, and you're spreading the gospel, and you're spending your hard-earned money on it as well, and that 
awakens a lot of people and a lot of senses and, and people want to be associated with this sport. And, you know, to, to a point, I think you are right. You know, there, there's still certainly some, some acne on the soccer face and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the Adam's apple and all that other stuff. We're sorting it out, but it, it's a maturing product that you look at and you say, oh, this, this young man, this young woman is really going to make something of herself down the road. And they already have, and they already uh, are awfully impressive and they're going to go to a good school. And, you know, these are the type of people that you want your kids marrying and, you know, that type of analogy, but, but the sport is headed in the right direction. And there's not a person, the only people who tell you it's not heading the right direction are, are uneducated about the topic because they just don't know and they don't care to know. But if you ask anybody else out there from, from marketing, from television, uh, from sales, they will say, this is a sport that we absolutely have to be involved in. And for numerous reasons, whether it's, um, you know, the, the cultural identity um, and, and the multicultural facet of, of the people that it pulls in, clearly the passion is there to a, to a college football and an NFL level. And plus, soccer is year-round. You know, the NFL takes a break, and it's a long break. There is no breaks in soccer. Like, I, I, to the point, I feel bad for these players. Like, give these guys a couple weeks off because every summer there's another tournament. It's a Gold Cup. It's a Copa America. It's a World Cup. It's, you know, it, it, it never ends. And um, that goes to show you that it's it's this insatiable appetite out there for the sport where we can't, it's hard to live without a couple a couple weeks away from the game. Um, and, and I wish I had a little more summer vacation time, uh, but I'm thrilled that it's soccer that is, is making me stay and work longer. Right. What, what's been the moment in your life that soccer just became a part, like a part of your life going forward? What's the one moment you can point to say, this is more than a game to me. This is now going to be an instrumental part of my life going forward. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's always been part of me. You know, I I played all the way through college um, and and was passionate about it. But there's so many people who who are lucky to play to college and then it just ends. Uh, And for me and the business that I was in, I was able to keep a contact um, with it. And that contact um, got me my my big break at ESPN doing um, a weekly soccer magazine show called Worldwide Soccer. And at, at that point, there were just so few opportunities in American soccer period to make a living. Um, and I happen to have found one of them. Uh, and it was almost kind of created for me at, at that moment when I got this gig and it, it got me to ESPN to the Holy grail at that moment of sports broadcasting. I said, Whoa, you know, cause it was all soccer. It was my background as a player, my background as a fan, um, the connections that I had made that had gotten me here. Um, I think that was probably that moment that said, holy cow, this is this is what got me here and this is what can keep me going. But even back then, you know, in the mid 90s, Riley, soccer wasn't a priority at places like ESPN or Fox Sports or, or, or things like that. It was just sort of a, a programming window. And there wasn't this mass amount of people in the building who really cared. Um, and it was a handful of us. Um, but at every World Cup that I worked, starting in 98, you know, every four years, you know, the pool of people working the World Cup just started getting bigger and larger. And people were coming out of the woodworks from, the, you know, who worked on NFL or college football projects saying, I really want to be involved in this because, A, I'm a soccer person, and B, I know how big it is. 
Um, and it's grown every four years. You know, our World Cup presence in Russia is going to be the biggest that this country has ever seen from a television standpoint. You know, 350 hours of programming. Are you kidding me? 300? I mean, back in 19... 19- um, 98 when I covered the World Cup for ESPN and I and if somebody said how what do you think about 350 hours of programming and the majority of the games on ABC they would look at you like you are I don't know what you're putting inside your body but stop it because you're not making any sense and now this is groundbreaking type things where our our bosses our programmers our our salespeople are saying man do you think we can get a can we extend that hour show to maybe a two hour pregame. How early can we start our coverage? How late can we go? I mean, this coming summer between Fox and, and FS1, it is borderline going to be wall-to-wall World Cup coverage with all the shows and all the production that we have. So, um, like we said, it's not going anywhere. And, and it's a reminder whether the U.S. is playing there or not, th- this bad boy is, is, is running on high-octane fuel. No sleep till Moscow. That's right. And – what what's the experience like for you going to these events like you're going to Russia next year for the World Cup you're going to experience the one of the biggest World Cups ever from a from an American perspective even though the United States is not in it what what's it like for you bringing the television presence to a larger bigger more informed and more excited American audience it it does change every four years, and, and to a point, you could say it changes every three years because of our coverage of the Women's World Cup as well. And um, you, you know, you kind of cover MLS games with with one attitude, and then if it's a World Cup qualifier, you, you start balancing a little more of of the fun compared with the education and the seriousness. And and as the importance level of the product grows, you know, your brain and your production judgment starts changing as well. Um, I think we have this really unique opportunity this summer and it's a, it was always going to be a challenge doing a world cup from Russia. Um, but the challenge really for the first time in our lifetime is covering a world cup that the United States is not a part of. And, And that hasn't been done. Um, you know, I know we played in the 1990 world cup, but to me, that, that barely counted in the broadcast sense of things. And even 94, uh, even though it was here in the U.S. and 98, they were kind of soft launches. Uh, it was 2002 where things started getting some energy where you're saying, holy cow, people are getting up at what hour to watch these games? And and they're proud of it. And, and they're, they're making parties about it. And they're bringing in their friends. And it became the thing to do. Um, and that's where the momentum is headed. But nobody has done it without that American presence there. Um, and I think in one way we're, we're better prepared for it because as a soccer nation, we just want the product. Um, if it's red, white, and blue and, you know, Tim Howard is making, you know, fantastic saves and Dempsey's being Dempsey all the better, but still I'm fine with whoever you're going to, whoever you're going to feed me and this team, I'm okay with it because I want to watch it and I want to be a part of this. It's going to be a hell of a challenge. Um, but it's one that, you know, myself and our crew, I think, are, are now to the point where we, we've recovered from that, that, that hit and saying, this is great. A lot of people are starting to write off the World Cup already. And it's those people that don't know as much about the sport that you and I do, Riley. And, and people want to take those shots saying it's going to be a devastating blow to the World Cup coverage. Now, if anything, it's this extra motivation for us. On top of the motivation we already had to really excel and to really prove to everybody out there, guys – it's a World Cup. It is an elite competition, 
and people are going to be watching whether you expect it or not. They're going to come, and they're going to come here in droves to watch this tournament. Now, having covered a few tournaments with uh, the crew that you usually have, who, who's more difficult to put up with, Alexi Lalas or El Presidente? More difficult to what with? To put up with. Um, neither. They're absolute joys uh, in, in different facets. I consider them both dear friends. Um, I, I guess if it had to be difficult. It's only the difficulty of Fernando because you just you don't know where he's going. Uh, and part of it is just the, is that's the fantastic part about it, you know. So if we have um, you know a, a rundown, which is kind of our 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 script, so to speak, of how the show is going to go and what segment is going to be like, and we've got a certain amount of time designated for this conversation. Rob's got 15 seconds to talk about this guy to get into here. Let's hear from the coach. And then Fernando will come on, and he basically, without doing it, just takes the rundown, crumbles it up, throws it at our producer, <laughs> and just goes. So we just sit there, and, and it's like the quarterback in the pocket where you're sitting there going, somebody's going to hit me really soon. i got to get rid of the ball or i got to run. But my brain is sitting there looking at Fernando going, that is going to drop. All right, we no longer have time for that. What did he just say? Well, we need to react to that. And here he goes. And um, oh, he brought out a prop. So um, it, that's that's the difficult, but it's a difficult. It's a, it's a great difficulty uh, to deal with. And you know, he's his own character. He's his own personality. And uh, you don't want to step on things like that. Let him be who he is. And and we learn quickly that all of us will adapt around him. Right, right. That makes the show uniquely Fox, and that makes it uniquely. You guys, for better or for worse. Look, I, I get it. <laughs> Not everybody, and and I'll hear it constantly. Um, but it, it's who we are. It, it's it's our Fox DNA. Is that look? If we're not having fun and we're not entertaining, we're not doing our job. And and you as a viewer, if you sit and you watch a show and the people just look like they're not really thrilled to be there, they're not overly enjoying themselves, they're not smiling. Um, yeah, look, it's serious. You know, we take soccer seriously. The World Cup, we take it seriously. But at some point. We're all humans, and, and we're in this to enjoy ourselves and, and be entertained and, and laugh and smile because it, it is sport. It, that's what makes it so great is it brings all these people together with all these emotions, and, and there's some wicked highs and some deep, deep lows. But in the end, we're all kind of in this in this odd little party together. And uh, just quickly here, I want to uh, ask you, uh, Alexi's made a, a big point on his podcast and through other mediums that – can you really have a performance be genuine when it's when it's scripted out and you have a rundown? What's yep. your take on that? Because it it seems very very genuine and very very real, and yeah, like it's it, like it's a lot of fun. Like you guys are actually having a lot of fun. As, it, it is. It's it's a it's a it's a fine balance between being programmed and and improv. Um, and, and ad lib. So there are dynamics of every show that you want to be kind of buttoned up on. Um, you, you want at least to ideally know what the main topic is so you can kind of think ahead of yourself. I really need it. I really want to get this in or I, I feel really strongly about this point that other people may not may not see and I may be bringing it to light. But then there's also that blend of bringing in that curveball that nobody knows about and getting that first time reaction um, on something that they hadn't thought much about and, and to have it broached to them and, and to see how they respond to it. So, um, you know, clearly things are laid out, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't elect to take a right when everybody wants us to go left. 
Right. And it's fantastic what you what you do there is fantastic. The Copa America was a, a fun month. Yeah, it the, was. The Gold Cup last year or this past summer was was fun. I'm pretty sure Russia is going to be even more fantastic with such high stakes and so yes, much sir. more audience. Now, one last question for you. Um, as an adult that grew up with this game, what what do you tell a 10-year-old watching Christian Pulisic and seeing how he plays the game so beautifully at such a young age that, that's waking up to watch Bundesliga games, that's you know getting really excited for U.S. games to watch the young guy play, the guy that they most relate to. Uh, what do you tell that kid who is on the brink of falling off the game? I think you tell him to watch it and then go outside and go play it and, and go try to replicate you know what, what you saw, what motivated you, what excited you watching that game. Um, you know, watch Pulisic and, and watch how he's not the biggest guy on the field, but but his runs and, and his touch and, you know, a, a ball is coming at him at all different types of velocities and angles. How is he able to, to to deaden it, drop it so he can continue going on in stride? How his head is up? Things like that. I think it's important um, to find this balance between watching and playing because I think the two of them really do go together. Um, I wish I had a chance to watch more of it as I was growing up. I just took those limited opportunities and I would see something and then I'd go out to the yard and, and I would try it against, you know, my, my backboard or, you know, certain juggles and things like that. Look, I grew up there. There weren't like the Neymars out there where they're doing all these you know amazing tricks on YouTube that you can see. And, and the Ronaldo's and, you know, those free kick moments where you can just go back and play and go back and play him. And like, how did he really hit that ball? Um, I want to do that, you know. I, I want to be able to strike a free kick like Ronaldo, and then run to the corner flag and you know do the goal celebration. Um, and, and I think that's where where TV comes in into place, where it, it can be this motivating factor of wow, I saw this, I want to do that. And also, you can go back and watch it and say, all right, but how, how how did he do it? And you can track it and and you know do your best to replicate it and just carry on the love of the game. Rob, we can't let you go without going through the lightning round. Five to seven, random questions, answering ten seconds or less. You ready? Yes, sir. Uh, what's your favorite kind of sandwich? Uh, something that's been pressed and is warm. Although I have a soft spot for roast beef on rye with mayonnaise, lettuce, and tomato. What's your favorite Disney movie? Come on, Robert. Come on, Robert. I, I, I know you got kids. movies. <laughs> It's probably instead of Disney, you know what it is? Not the Disney movies. It's those damn Lego movies. <laughs> they project just enough adult humor in there that it makes me, uh, that it entertains me and makes me laugh. So forget Disney. It's Lego. There we go. Lego. If you could be a cartoon character for a week, who would you be? Um, you know, I always liked Plastic Man for some reason, where his arms and legs could go all over the place and reach and pick things out. Although I think it'd be really cool to be Flash and be that fast. If you could be an Olympic athlete, what sport would you compete in? Other than soccer, of course. Uh, other than soccer, an Olympic athlete, uh, it would probably, you know, synchronized swimming is definitely up there. Same with that diving and all that stuff they do. But in the end, it would probably have to be basketball. i got a soft spot for basketball. So uh, to be able to run down the court, I, I, wish I, I wish somebody could create the ability to dunk. Like if, <laughs> if I was a kid, yeah, that's all I would ask my parents. Like, what do you want for Christmas, son? I'm like, the ability to dunk. Can can Whammo package that? And I can open it up, and I can have the ability to dunk. 
in an Olympic game and wear a medal, that's what I would want. What's been your favorite city you've been to? Oh, jeez. One city that's been my favorite to go to. Cripes. I tell you what, I really, I had a, I had a hell of a time in Vancouver for our Women's World Cup a couple summers ago. And um, because I spent so much time there, I developed a real love uh, for their, their beers, their scenery, and their oysters. So probably Vancouver's up there. Last one, cake or pie? What was the question? Last one, cake or pie? Um, well, see, this is good. It's absolutely it's cake as long as you give me the proper icing. Don't give me that fluffy marshmallow type icing. I want like that thick, buttery icing that like you got to really like cut through it. It's so thick. You know what I'm talking about? I know that about. is the type of cake I want. Otherwise, banana cream pie. <laughs> Follow-up question. Do you consider cheesecake pie or is cheesecake kind of its own thing? Yeah, it's its its, its own subculture. It's more jello to me than, than a pie or a cake or a cheesecake. I was afraid of cheesecake as a kid because I didn't like cheese. And I, I, I didn't, didn't make sense. Like, why would somebody want a whole cake made of cheese? It seems heavy and very heavy on the, on the dairy portion of things. So I, I wasn't uh, a cheesecake guy until later in my life. Rob, we thank you for making time for this. It's, it's been an absolute honor to sit here and talk with you for the last half hour. I'm glad I could do it. I'm glad there's people out you, like you out there in this world uh, spreading the good word and, and doing it at a young age. Rob, thank you so much. You got it, buddy. Have a good one, Riley. You too. If you need anything, you know how to get in touch with me.